Two game ones are in the books as we are in the conference semifinals for both the Western and Eastern conferences. Latest one was a spectacle between the Suns and the Mavs. At least by the final score, it looks like that. But the Suns came out ablazing. Really, really strong effort across the board as Luka Doncic, as always, putting the team on his back. We'll get into that. We'll get into the Heat and the Sixers. Philly is Joel Embiidless, and it really showed against Miami on the road. Solid effort for three quarters and then uh, really two and a half quarters, and then we just saw the Sixers run away with it. And uh, we'll get into the previews for game two as we are recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. First up, Celtics and Bucks. We know that Milwaukee is up on them at one to nothing. And then, of course, the Grizzlies hosting the Warriors. Golden State has a one-game lead on that. What's up, everybody? Spencer Davies and Brian Fritz. Another episode of Keeping It 94, courtesy of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. Already into the second round, man. How about that? Crazy. It's already May. Where's the time going? All the time is now being spent on the NBA playoffs because we have more time to actually dissect everything. We can watch the games now without being flooded with too much. Not that there is too much. We can really uh, absorb the games. We can dissect the games. We can preview the upcoming games. It's all about the NBA playoffs right now. Yeah, man. And uh, as I was saying to you before we started recording this, it's a lot easier to take in four series than it is eight series. Or even before that, when you had... You know, two separate series going, not, even though they're not series, but the play-in games, you have just these teams, so many that we're getting in, and now we're down to essentially the Elite Eight of the league at this point. And it's a little bit kind of, um, you know, more detail-heavy. Uh, you're getting two games uh, on the same day instead of four. In some cases, you know you're going to get one game on a day, depending on how these series goes. We even have an off day on Thursday. So these are going to be a lot easier to to keep up with, I think, or at least be able to do a podcast uh, in great detail while still, you know, not talking your ear off for two hours. <laughs> and not missing anybody either, yeah. because otherwise yeah. you got to kind of pick and choose a little bit. No question. No question. But yeah. So we, we kicked it off here talking about Phoenix and Dallas, and this is obviously the last game that was played for uh, when we were recording this, uh, again, like I said, on a Tuesday afternoon. This was a, a fun one to watch, even though the final score was indicative of a closer game than it really was. It was still fun. Now, here's how I see it. Like, the Suns just were able to take advantage of so many different ways in scoring. They were moving the ball like crazy. Everybody got a touch. I think every starter was in double figures. You had just high assist numbers, great defense. My God, did you see Mikel Bridges on that one closeout on the, the corner? He literally went from above the break to forcing someone passing the ball to getting the second pass over to the corner and blocking that three-point attempt. Like, Mikel Bridges is just so fun to watch on defense. It was almost just exactly like how the Herb Jones closeout was in their previous series, but turned up a notch. And then you have first quarter book going off with 13, six and four. Chris Paul wasn't even playing while well. he was in foul trouble for the most of the first half. 
And then he decided to turn it on. Did you see the dipsy doos that he was pulling on some of these players? The behind-the-back spinning mid-ranger. You had a contested three on some ridiculous dribble dribble move. We're not even mentioning the energy that Jay Crowder brought to the table. He knocked down his first three shots, was big defensively, made a couple of huge plays individually, uh, one of which was on Luka Doncic, completely clean block. DeAndre Ayton, every time he touched the ball, it seemed like it was going in because he was shooting over his competition, whether it was hook shots or spin-around spin fadeaways, uh, facing the basket and putting up mid-rangers, whatever it may be. They were just so locked in from that aspect from the jump that I think the Mavs were playing catch-up the whole time. And though they were playing, I thought the Mavs played an okay offensive game, to be honest with you. But then they cooled down in the third, and then that's where it got away. Yeah, I mean, the problem with the Mavericks was just defensively because overall, you look at this game, it was a clean game from the standpoint that there was only 17 turnovers combined between the two teams. And, you know, when it was all said and done, you know, the Mavs shot almost 50%. Um, Sun shot a little bit better. They were shooting over 60% though for a chunk of the game. 64% and, in the first half. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, and the only reason, I mean, this game was only a seven point game in the final box score is because, you know, the Suns didn't do that much in the fourth quarter and the Mavericks outscored them by 10. So, but you look at the Mavericks in the first round, what they did to slow down and sometimes shut down a jazz offense that was the top-ranked offense during the regular season. And here they are in the playoffs. And in game one of the second round, they gave up 121 points to the Phoenix Suns, who were efficient, um, in control the entire game. And if that's the way it's going to be, uh, <laughs> this might not be that long of a series. So the Mavericks have got to ratchet it up. And we started to see some glimpses of that in the fourth quarter. But by that period, Phoenix wasn't, totally on cruise control, but they were getting there. And, um, you know, the Mavericks are going to have to play like that from the get-go. It's okay to say that they were on cruise control because they were. You know, they had ultimately, they had campaign in there. They had JaVale McGee, Landry Shamit had some some minutes for, you know, uh, campaign. Both cams really uh, were in there as everybody was getting their rest to start. And then, you know, they were up for, you know, by you know, 15 to 20 for a good amount of time. And then we saw the Mavs start to make some shots there at the, you know, under six to five minute mark. Dorian Finney-Smith put one in. Luka Doncic was still making his step backs, getting into the paint, getting to the line, which, by the way, if the if there's an, an advantage that the Mavs have this series, it's Luka Doncic being able to use his burly body to get into the paint and draw these fouls and get into the paint and find his shooters. Again, Maxi Kleba, when he's on, is a deadly shooter from those corners, and he's finding them in those corners. He hit his first, I think he hit his first three uh, in a row and ended up going five of six in that first quarter. Maxi Kleba just really good at that. Maybe they play more Davis Bertans, so he has two of those threats on the floor. Um, I think a huge part of this for Dallas, the reason that they weren't able to make the comeback happen the whole way and honestly get into a a groove um, outside of that three-point arc is because they didn't have Jalen Brunson on the floor. Jalen Brunson was in foul trouble from the get-go. He had three fouls in the first quarter. And we know how big Jalen Brunson's been for this team. Averaged over 28 in that series against Utah. That's Luka's kind of release valve as far as, as, as taking some pressure off of him and also providing a threat downhill that really helps. And when Jalen Brunson was on the bench, 
I feel like Luca didn't quite have that as much and, uh, you know, really had to depend on, you know, guys like Reggie Bullock and, and Spencer Dinwiddie to step up to the table. And Spence got it going a little bit in that fourth quarter, but I think, honestly, with Brunson out that way, he couldn't get into a rhythm. Um, he seemed kind of flustered, and he's a lot better than, than what we saw in that first game. But it's hard to get in a rhythm when you're in foul trouble. So that's something I'm looking out for in game two. I think th- I don't know what Dallas is going to do about this big situation. Uh, they they, they kind of went small. They put, you know, uh, you know, Kleba in there at the at the five. We only saw 15 minutes of Dwight Powell, which is uh, something maybe that that's foretelling for this series. Maybe we're going to see, you know, more of that. And perhaps Phoenix goes to, you know, uh, try to split some time between DeAndre Ayton and, and JaVale McGee. I, I think they're going to stick to what they're doing and not cave to what the Mavs are doing. But the Mavs did find that solution because the Suns were not guarding the three-point line in that first quarter. Uh, they were doing most of their damage inside. So uh, it was kind of like a vice versa effect. And that's how the Mavs, you know, were hanging around and sticking in there. Um, but I think ultimately it's going to come down to that. And uh, if the Mavs are shooting that well throughout the series, they'll get one at least. But uh, I don't, I don't know if that's going to continue. That's, that's, that's where I'm at in that. And I think you have to give a ton of credit too to the Suns defense for, you know, the way that they're collapsing inside and, and forcing the Mavs to beat them as shooters. When it comes to the defense, you know, we sit here and we can look at the final box score and we say, oh, look at Luca, man, 45 points, 15 to 30 from the field, you know, uh, 12 rebounds, eight assists. He dominated this game. He did, but he didn't. Because even though he did shoot 50%, he had to work for that. And I mean, that's what the Suns are doing. They're throwing a lot of different bodies at him. You know, obviously, Mikhail Bridges is the number one guy, but. You know, they're going to throw Crowder at him and they throw Cam Johnson at him and they, they they throw multiple people at him all the time to give him different looks. They're going to make him work for it. He had to work for it. And, you know, he put up some of those numbers also because of the fourth quarter. You mentioned the bigs. DeAndre Ayton, I mean, if he's going to play like that, where he's going to get, you know, so many good looks and he's going to put up 25 points, I mean, that that is a huge plus for the Suns. And in watching this game, too, even though the Suns, you know, they got off to this quick start, they never looked back, I never felt like they totally put the gas pedal down. No. It felt like they had another gear or two to go. No, I I think that they do. And as I mentioned, you know, before, when they rolled out that lineup with Campaign and Johnson and JaVale and Shamit. And they had pretty much all the starters on on the bench, except for maybe Paul or except for maybe Booker. Like that, I think, you know, showed that they were one. One, they were getting them rest, but two, um, they kind of pulled the dogs off a little bit. And then that's when you know they they got reinserted. The whole starting lineup got reinserted when I think the Mavs cut it down to like thirteen or twelve, and they got it all the way down to five. By the way, so Monty probably wasn't happy about the way they they ended the game, and the Mavs did use something to build on that. But this is it, it's gonna be very hard for me to see the Mavs um having a chance in this series when they have the size disadvantage and then just Phoenix is just so damn deep. Like they're ridiculously deep. Here's what Monty has to be happy about though. Uh Booker played 38 minutes, didn't look like he was hampered one bit. Nope. Chris Paul only played 29 minutes. 
and Aiton only played 33. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I got to be thrilled about those minutes. Sure, sure. And, I mean, even if you want to say that Jay Crowder played 28 minutes, I mean, these are starters that you guys have. You know, like, that's that's big time. It's a big deal. So Absolutely. I mean, to get to get CP3 that much rest, you know, only have to play 29 minutes. Especially coming off a game, you know, a six-game yeah. series in which he had to give it literally his all to to stave off that that upset-minded Pelicans team. Like, that's that's big for game one. That's big. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, d- just real quick, throw out a prediction. I think Phoenix takes game two. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I, I think Phoenix is totally in the driver's seat. I, until I see something different, you know, I think... I think we both obviously predicted the Suns to win. It's just how many games, and um, it could be pretty quick if this continues. I mean, I, I, I think this should, when this series shifts to Dallas, Phoenix is going to be up 2 up. Yeah, no, I think so too. And uh, my little-used Twitter, I did make my predictions before the second round started, and Suns over Mavs I had in five. So. Yeah, then I think that's a pretty good uh, prediction. Okay. Let's move on to the first game of uh, Monday night, and that was Philly and Miami. Uh, I think we saw right out of the gate that Bam Adebayo was going to make them pay. Um, Doc Rivers went out and go ahead and started DeAndre Jordan, someone he knows from his Clippers days, and someone that we know that the Philly fans and you know some Philly media personnel are just kind of flabbergasted by why DeAndre Jordan is starting a playoff game in these days. And he's going to uh, be think, starting think, game two as well. Yeah, I think we got the same question uh, last year when Brooklyn was doing it. Um, just because we know DeAndre Jordan's uh, limitations as far as, you know, losing his legs. He doesn't have quite as much juice um, on the defensive end as he once did. Um, but, you know, Philly felt it had no choice since Bam Adebayo is one of those guys that can can bruise you when he wants to be aggressive. And that's what we saw. We saw Bam really go to work on Philly uh, in the paint, really doing good things in the pick and roll with everybody, essentially, Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero especially, because Hero's the one that ended up taking that game over. But uh, I, I think that out of, the, out of the, the gate, we saw Bam really decide to take matters into his own hands. We know Jimmy Butler was dealing with that knee inflammation. Even though he played the whole game, he was fine. Um uh, but I feel like Bam took it upon himself knowing that there was no Joel Embiid in that paint. And so I'm going to expose this. I'm going to do this. And they got out to, I think it was an 18-6 to run. Um, and that, I think, kind of set the tone for the game. It did. I was surprised, though, that the Sixers actually had a one-point lead at the half. Sure, they did. And the Heat just was kind of cruising through that first half, even though Bam was making them pay. But you could tell like the Heat were just kind of biding their time. And then, you know, in the third quarter, they said, okay, let's pick it up a notch here. And and they did it in the third. They did it in the fourth. They shut him down. And the thing that, that really stands out to me, and I think to a lot of other people, is what happened with James Harden. Because this is a game where, without Joel Embiid, they needed him to be uh, a guy that was going to put up a lot of shots and really be the focal point of their offense Instead, he was still focusing on being a full, um, facilitator. Uh, he only had three points in the second half. He finished with 16. He only took 13 shots for the game. And by the way, do you know that since James Harden has joined the Philadelphia, uh, 
Philadelphia 76ers. He is never taking 20 shots in a game. That's so weird. It's so weird, man. This is not the James Harden we're used to. And me, like, like we've said before, this is probably something we just have to get used to because it's not like he didn't. He honestly, he didn't play bad. That's the thing, but he didn't play like James Harden. That's the thing. He played fine, but he wasn't good enough and not nearly good enough, especially for a team that's missing its MVP candidate. But when is the last time we've seen him play like James Harden? Take over, take over. Probably the first game in Philly. Probably the first game they joined Philly. I mean, it's been a while. (laughs) I mean, mean, if you want to talk about James Harden consistently being an offensive juggernaut, it's been a season or two, quite honestly. You know, to and you know, some of this is hamstring injury. Some of it's just because of he wants out of where he's playing. And now in Philadelphia, you know, is it, oh, I'm trying to adapt. I'm trying to, this is the role that I'm trying to take is I know this is Joel Embiid's team. Um, is he that out of shape? Is Or is just, um, you know, he's a little bit older and a little bit slower and this is who he is. And, and I think that's something we have to get used to. And it's it's that first step that you notice. Like, you know, I brought up on last week's podcast how he was hunting for switches. He got four switches against the the Raptors, um, long, big guys, like rangy guys, but he couldn't beat any of them off the dribble. I think you're going to see the same thing in this Miami game, Miami series, because you know, if you try to get a switch on Bam, Bam's you're not getting by Bam. If you try to right. get a switch on PJ Tucker, you're probably not getting by PJ Tucker. But how uh, weird is like, it to see Harden? In a game where you know that they want to, they need to depend on him offensively because they don't have Embiid, and he only took thirteen shots. Yeah, and the second quarter it looked like he was going to start to get going too. He was doing his little step back yep. dance, and uh, there was a couple times where he took it to the hole and got by guys, but he's just not doing it as often, and that right. I think is the concern there. And yes. shout out to PJ Tucker, by the way, I just mentioned him. He was dogging, he was dogging beard full court, man. He was picking him up at ninety four, like that. Named by this podcast, by the way, keeping it at 94. P.J. Tucker kept it 94 in that game one. He was Absolutely. picking up Harden the whole time, probably tiring the hell out of him, a, a guy who's already tired. We know how P.J. operates. He's always going to be in your shirt. He's not going to let you get by. He's not going to let you dog him. So that's what P.J.'s for. We saw it in the, the finals last year with the Bucks. It's just how he is. He did that even, you remember that uh, against uh, Kevin Durant last year? He would be picking him up full court and really trying to, you know, get in his his shirt. He's going to do the same James Harden. You know why? Because PJ was a former teammate of James Harden. He knows how he ticks. He knows how he operates. And now you add a, a physical uh, depreciation of, of Harden at this point. At least it seems so. Uh, it's not going to make for a good good combination. I do want to no. mention this, though. Um, for Philly, another solid effort from Tobias Harris. He's been the most consistent player in the playoffs for them. I'm happy for him because it seems like that first game and on um, in their, their series against Toronto, I feel like Tobias finally understands. He understands what he needs to put in every night and all to these post postseason games. I feel like he's been the most consistent player for the Sixers in the playoffs, and he might just well be the most consistent player in these playoffs in his role as the you know the the second slash third guy. Loving how he's using his body uh, when he puts it on the floor and shoots those mid rangers. He's he's not being afraid to take these shots. He's taking it to the hole. He's shooting when he 
gets the pass to the outside. By the way, that was a huge problem for Philly. They could not find the bottom of the net from deep at all. But it wasn't for effort that I, I don't think for 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 Philly this time. I I love the minutes Tobias gave them. I love the minutes that Paul Reed gave them. Um, you need to see him getting twenty five and Jordan getting fifteen uh, at that that five spot. I think for this series to to have any chance. I know that Paul gets into foul trouble very easily, but he is doing the little things, scrapping for the ball, second chances, and and playing some really solid defense for especially for somebody who for most part, you know, has been a very very small part of the rotation this season. I think that's huge. Um but I I feel like and, and Maxi was good too, de- decently good there. Um when he was, you know, being aggressive and and trying to draw fouls getting into the paint. I think they need to run more off of uh, the Miami misses. Because uh, as Nikias Duncan notes on basketballnews.com, the Heat give up a lot of baskets uh, off of misses, off of their own misses, I should say. So um, being able to push it in transition, I think, is huge there. But like I said about the Phoenix series, the Heat, their depth is, is going to crush the Sixers, like absolutely crush them. Um, it is, so. especially without Embiid, because, I mean, you look at this team, too, I mean, hey. We talk about Phoenix. Did they really have to ratchet it up in game one against the Mavericks? No. And the Heat definitely didn't against the Sixers. I mean, they're coasting along in the the whole first half. They turned it on just enough to where they won by double digits. They won comfortably. They didn't have to really press the issue necessarily too much. Um, Nobody had to play extended minutes. They're still without Kyle Lowry. Um, Jimmy Butler played in the game, but, you know, he might still have some soreness in his knee and, you know, he played 30 minutes. He got 15 points. Didn't shoot great, but, you know, he's out there. Lowry's going to miss game two. But you feel like the Heat are not in trouble because the Sixers just cannot generate enough offense if this is who James Harden is, and they're without Joel Embiid. And Embiid's not going to play in game two because of the, the fractured orbital bone. He might be back for game three. If not, maybe game four. We don't know. But without him, their team is just... Totally, totally different. And like, do you do you, do you decrease Harden's minute load? Like, if he continues to play like this, like, do do you put Shake in that position? Do you try to shake out because he's done it obviously in the playoffs before? As a couple, two, two, three years ago when he had his coming out party in the postseason, um, you know, he's obviously um, got a little bit more burst in those legs. Well, I don't think Doc uh, will like, do that, but I think Doc has to pull Harden aside, going, "Hey, man, I need more from you. You got to be more aggressive. I I need more shot attempts from you. This is yeah. just." what it's going to be right now. And I mean, I, I feel bad for Embiid because this guy, he just cares about winning. He cares so much. We've seen him, you know, hold those emotions out for everyone to see. And then for him to get an injury going into this, you know, second round of the playoffs where he's going to miss at least a couple of games and, and maybe more. It's horrible. I'm not saying they would have won, but you know, they have a chance if he's out there when, when he's not out there. I mean, they really do not have a chance. And, like, I fully expect the Heat, you know, to to win game two. And now the Sixers will be in a situation where they got to win four out of five against the top seed in the East. And people could say what they want about Miami and, you know, uh, and their record and how are they really, you know, how strong of a contender they are and everything. But you know what? They did enough to get the top seed in the East. They have home court advantage. Um, they've got arguably the best coach in the NBA. They know how to win games. They're not even at full strength yet. And you know what? They had a first-round matchup where they didn't get pressed against the Hawks. They took care of business in five games. 
And now they're taking on a Philly team that is banged up and not at full strength. And they might be able to, you know, move on from this series without having to get too physical and extend it too far. And if that's the case, I mean, they could find themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals without having to, you know, put in too much work. No question. And the thing is, too, like, the, it's not like the Heat shot the cover off of the ball. <laughs> like, right. They And they still won this game by double digits. That's the they thing have that's nowhere, They have not played their best ball by any means. Yet. And, and what did I say on last week's podcast, Brian? They've prepared for this the whole season. How many times have they been without Bam Adebayo and without Jimmy Butler and without Kyle Lowry? But what's happened? They've responded. Guys like Max Struess have stepped up. Guys like uh, uh, Gabe Vincent have stepped up. Tyler Hero, he's been coming off the bench. He's started. Hasn't mattered. Caleb Martin, you know, like these are guys that played a significant role, and that's why the regular season mattered for them because they learned how to play without those top guys. And that's I wouldn't the big say that part. they, yeah, they don't win ugly. They piece together wins. That's okay. what they do. They because they're so deep, like you said, it's just like okay. Where are we going to piece this together tonight? Oh, Jimmy's going to have a 45-point game like he did in the first round. Okay, what are we going to do when Jimmy doesn't have that? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, Hero's going to have a game. Oh, wait, the closing game of the first round. We're without Jimmy and without Lowry. Oh, Victor Oladipo out of nowhere puts up yep. you know, 20-some points. You and know? They, don't I mean, have they, a set, they don't have like a set closing lineup either. I mean, dude, Duncan Robinson's completely out of the rotation now. Like I, which is random. weird because game one against Atlanta, the dude hit what eight three pointers. Yeah, that well, that's what I think. That's what's scary because they have that in their arsenal if they need to deploy it. If someone's off like hell, you know, spoke and just be like, okay, Duncan, come in here and give me fifteen. You know, like Caleb Martin wasn't in the rotation for the first like three or four games, and now he's playing twenty minutes. Like th- this is interesting to me because now it looks like Victor Oladipo's hopped uh, Duncan Robinson. Who has ho- who who got hopped by Caleb Martin? You know, like, and you have Struess in there, who you know didn't have a you know a great offensive game, but he still gave you some solid defense and gave you thirty two big minutes. I mean, that, yeah, that that's what's scary about this Heat team. They, they might, dude, honestly, they might run like eleven deep. Like they, they, they might. might like, and they well, haven't it, they haven't even played Markeith Morris. I, you know, we obviously know that Markeith's been out since uh, Nikola Jokic. You know. Uh, shoved him in the back and it screwed up his spine and stuff. But apparently Markeith Morris was cleared to play yesterday. So they have that at their disposal if they need to match up. Right. And like I said, they haven't been pushed yet and we'll see what happens if Embiid is able to come back. But I mean, I don't think there's any stopping the heat without Embiid for the, at least the first two games. And then it could be a different story once you get to the conference finals, depending on who they play. And I expect that series to be a lot more physical but they haven't had to play overly physical games so far. No, no. I they mean, you, and I know we're going to talk about Buck Celtics, but you look at that game one. I mean, that was a slugfest, Absolute and that was just the fest. first game of that series. You know what? Uh, let's actually transition into that. Uh, by the way, before we get to that, I would like to say I think the Heat win game two, um, and I had the Heat winning that series. Um, in six games, because uh, there is a chance that Joel Embiid comes back uh, with a protective mask for his orbital bone um, yeah. by game three, they're saying. so. He's going to be Phantom of the Opera out there, but even with Embiid, I mean, I, I maybe six, I think it's probably going to be five. I mean, if Embiid had been healthy, I think I would have liked the Heat in six. Okay. But now, without him, five at the most. 
I just think I just think that uh, there's probably a little too much pride for Embiid to let that happen. That's just that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he can go, if he gets the clearance to be out there, I mean, you know, that guy's going to be playing incredibly sure. hard, and it, it's you know, it totally changes their team, obviously, because we're talking about a guy that could be the MVP, or if not, he's going to be finished second, and he finished second last year. I mean, he is the main uh, offensive weapon and defensive guy for this team, and without him, I mean. <laughs> It's just like anybody else. You miss your best player, and you're going to be screwed. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, and before we get to um, the two games that are happening on the night that we're recording this, again, on a Tuesday afternoon, just want to let you know about the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com, and that is Ticket Smarter. Looking to go to the hottest concerts, sports, theater, and family shows near you? Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. Order online now. In place you want to get tickets, you want to get tickets for game two, you're going to see another drag-it-out physical spectacle between the Bucks and the Celtics. This is fun. That was a very fun game one. I think because the refs let them play. That was my favorite part about this. It wasn't a pretty game by any means. They were turning the ball over like crazy. Milwaukee couldn't hang on to it at all in the first quarter. And then that caught up to kind of Boston not knowing where they wanted to be. Jalen Brown, yuck, bad, bad first game. He had an we, awful game. We know that he has a, a hamstring injury that he's dealing with, um, but just decisively uh, not great. Not a great game at all. Um, you know, And they, Marcus Smart got banged up in that game because he had both a, a stinger in his shoulder and it looks like he's hampered by some kind of leg thing going on as well he's quite contusion or something yeah. yeah i mean he, he's listed as questionable so we expect him to play but is he going to be a full strength right you know as much as anybody can be at this point in the season i mean that dude gives it his all i i have so much respect for marcus smart like he he is such he is so the heart of that team and definitely you know deserves the award that he got dpoy uh quick plug james posey wrote about that for basketballnews.com it's our top story on tuesday Definitely check that out. But Marcus Smart, uh, with that beating, um, that's going to you know definitely put a lot of the onus on Jalen Brown to step back up in game two. Tatum, I, I, I have absolutely enjoyed the way that Jason Tatum and Giannis, with all the attention that they've gotten over the last couple of years, have become as playmakers. Um, they are setting up their guys beautifully. I think... You know, Tatum finding Grant Williams the way he did in that first round in the sweep of the Nets. Uh, he did the same thing again in game two. Um, we know that Milwaukee is willing to concede the threes. They are just going to pack that paint and make you beat them as shooters. Brooke Lopez, what a freaking job he did in this game. Just being able to deter shots. You you could see it in Tatum and Jalen's face. They were just like, I don't know what to do. They got, you know, they were driving into places that they didn't know where to go. Um, it was and, a totally and, different matchup yeah. from what they were used to. I mean, you look at the first round. They didn't face a rim protector. Faced, right. No rim protector. They faced an undersized Brooklyn team. Now they come into this series against the defending champs with a front line of Brooke Lopez, Giannis, and Bobby Portis. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that size lineup. upon size upon size. And then on top of that, you've got Drew Holiday that is just mucking up the offense and just taking everybody down left and right, you know, from the backcourt and just saying, Hey, by the way, um, yeah, you won defensive player of the year. 
I'll show you how it's done here in the postseason. And that's what he did. I mean, he put his stamp on that game. And this game was like, oh, you think you guys have played physical basketball so far? We'll show you how it's done. We're the defending champs. We've been here before. And they beat him up. And the, you talk about you know all the threes that Boston took and Milwaukee gave them to him. They took 50 threes in this game. The weirdest stat from this game is that Boston only made 10 two-pointers in this game. It's the fewest amount of two-pointers the Celtics have ever made in their playoff history. Holy hell. They made 10. <laughs> I did not know that. I, that's a stat ten. I actually did not know. It's a crazy stat, man. Wow. Dude, dude, they made 28 of 84 field goals for the game. They made 18 three-pointers. That is that is out that is crazy. 10 two-pointers. By the way, I heard the stat too. They only their average shot length was 18 feet, but they never took an 18 I think they only took one 18 footer in the game. So they I mean, yeah, I think the obvious thing is that they they were definitely getting a lot of of jumpers. A lot of jumpers, not nearly enough but, penetration. But they're all three-point range. They I mean they got almost nothing in the paint. Almost yeah. nothing. Yeah. Again, a testament to Brooke Lopez, a testament to Bobby Portis, you know, you know, forcing that stuff. Um, Giannis doing an excellent job as well. Um, you mentioned Drew Holiday, the way that, you know, he was making it really tough on Boston. Um, I'm looking at how aggressive he was on the offensive end. I think when you start to see Drew Holiday pull up in transition, one on two, one on three, uh, you're in trouble because if he starts hitting those and you have Giannis dominating the way he does, by the way, you know, an admirable effort, admirable effort from Al Horford and Grant Williams and even Jason Tatum. But Giannis is not the same as KD because KD is going to shoot over the top. He's not going to drive on you. He's not going to overpower you with his shoulder and get into the paint and dunk and throw up alley-oops to himself and finish. That's not what KD does. KD's more finesse. Giannis is the exact opposite of finesse. He will take it into your chest and let you know it. There is a clip of Giannis trying to get the ball against Jason Tatum. And Jason Tatum is attempting like hell to front Giannis. And Giannis swats away Jason Tatum, who is a pretty decently big guy, like a fly. Did you see that clip by chance? Yeah. That's what he. That's what Giannis does. I mean, he's a freak of nature. And no, and, there was no offensive foul. There's people crying for offensive foul because Jason Tatum fouled. No, no or, or Jason Tatum fell. No, that's not how it is. Giannis is just a strong mother effer. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, when you talk about adjustments in this game, because like this game just looked like the Bucks were poised. They look like they have been there, and the Celtics just seemed befuddled and were looking for answers. Like, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> Jalen Brown looked lost in this game and, you know, four for 13, seven turnovers. I mean, his final stat sheet was, you know, 12 points, nine rebounds, four assists. It was an uglier game than that, quite honestly. Yeah. You know, Tatum couldn't find his spots. He only shot six for 18 in this game. And um, now they're a bit banged up, you know, with smart as well. And, you know, they're going to, they might if it, I mean if if Smart is really slow down, 
that means they're going to have to depend a lot more on Derek White. That's why they went out and, and got he, him. And, and he played well, by the way. He was he was he a Celtic that did play well. Played okay. He kind of seemed a little bit like, oh my god, I'm in the second round of the playoffs here. You just got to. <laughs> he was ready to shoot, though. He was ready to shoot. He was ready and, to shoot. So and, and he took you know he, he grabbed some boards. He was able to you know get into the paint and draw a couple of fouls. So he was able. But to the do Celtics that. are going to have to be a lot more aggressive and mm-hmm. they're going to have to be a lot more physical. They have to match the physicality and that's so much easier said than done because you're talking about the most physical team in the NBA with that front line that the Bucks have with Drew Holiday, even with somebody like Wes Matthews, say what you will, that dude's out there and he's ready to bang with you. Connaughton will bang as well. You got Grayson Allen who say what you will, but he's feisty out there. So, I mean, this is what Milwaukee does and yeah. you've got to be able to match it. You got to find your spots and I don't know exactly what the answer to that is going to be. It might be, is, you know, Robert Williams going to have to play a little bit more? Um, are they going to have to find more time for Dice uh, or Tice? Because he's only, he only played uh, four minutes in that game. So maybe, maybe they have to get him out there a little bit more. Cause he's the guy that will mix it up. So, you know, I mean, the biggest thing too is just Jalen and Tatum have to play better offensively. No question. I mean, you, you were not getting enough from the Jays. You mentioned, Time Lord, and I think, yeah, you're going to need to get more out of Time Lord. But we got to remember he's coming off of an injury and getting back used to it again. Um, you know, he's obviously an amazing rim protector and stuff like that. I'm interested to see what it's like if he and Giannis meet at the rim because those are two very, very strong <laughs> dudes. Um, you bring up Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Wes Matthews. Their perimeter defense is what I think made it tough on Jalen Brown. They did an excellent job of sticking with their man making him feel uncomfortable. And I want to give a shout-out to Javon Carter because this is somebody who's kind of, you know, bounced around the league, man. He was in Memphis, he was in Phoenix, then he was in Brooklyn. He's been a trade chip, uh, you know, a couple times. But he has found something in Milwaukee. Just defensively, we know he's going to haunt the hell out of you. Um, it's, it's always about his offenses that we're talking about. And he didn't have, like, an amazing offensive day, I'm not saying, but, like, if he's ready to shoot a couple of trays, he's ready to set up a couple of things, he's going to defend you like crazy. This is exactly what he was like at West Virginia for Bob Huggins. But, look but what he has he found a spot. He has found a spot in Milwaukee's rotation. He's playing 20 minutes a night. Absolutely. I mean, you look at right now, they have an eight-man rotation. He is a part of it, and he has to be a part of it because they're without Chris Middleton, who's arguably you know second or third best player on this team. They're without him. Carter has to step up. And, all, you know, he only has seven points, but he hit timely shots, played defense. I mean, you look at plus minus, he was a plus 25 in this game. Yeah. Plus 25, and he only played in 22 minutes. That tells you the impact he had in this game. And, and you know, and I mentioned Middleton. I'm like, they're missing, you know, arguably their second best offensive player. And they still were able to win by double digit. Because they're playing to their identity. And if you really want to know about who can pick up that scoring difference, it's going to be Bobby Portis. And Bobby has shown very, very much so that he's able to step up to the to the occasion. And he's able to knock down some corner threes. He's able to grab those boards, get you your second chance points, points uh, out physical you. They, they, the Bucks have not lost their identity because Chris Middleton is gone. Like, let's not, you know say that that that's a difference the difference is that they're losing a huge scoring punch yeah but their identity is very much the same and they have plenty of pieces and plenty of things to do this um even without Middleton at least stave off until he gets back I I fully believe that 
Yeah, and we don't even know when Middleton's going to be back. I mean, it sounds like it might not be until maybe the NBA Finals that the Bucks get that far. Yeah, yeah, which is tough, so, which is a really yeah, tough I mean, I, I mean, so they're going to be without him this entire series. And going into this, you know, I I like the Bucks, but I like a lot of other people. You just thought like, man, missing Middleton, that's going to be huge because the Celtics have played so good defensively. And, and Peyton Pritchard just, thought he was Ray Allen in the fourth quarter and would not stop yeah, shooting. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> and this is game one, and you don't want to overreact in a series like this because it's still going to be a tight series, and, and you believe it's going to be. But, you know, I I thought maybe that was going to be just something that could really sway the series. And maybe it still will. But after looking at game one, the Celtics really looked a little bit befuddled, and Milwaukee goes into Boston and takes game one and slaps him in the face in the process and says, hey, we're the defending champs, and here's why. Yeah. Usually, okay, so usually I would say that Boston would bounce back and, you know, they'd go back to Milwaukee 1-1. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced because I know that Giannis didn't have his best offensive showing by a long shot. Um, I don't know. I obviously feel like Jalen Brown's going to have a good game tonight. Um, But I'm just curious as to whether, you know, they'll be able to match that physicality. I, I'm genuinely interested in that. I don't know how much, you know, more minutes Al Horford's going to be able to play, uh, at least in this particular series, the way that they, like you said, they bang with you. Um, Again, like I mentioned in the the last series with, with Miami, Milwaukee didn't shoot the cover off the ball. <laughs> like, um, they can definitely get better on the offensive end and, had they not turned it over, um, that I I think that this could have been a you know even more than a double digit win for them. So, I mean, closer, yeah. But I'm I'm also taking the Bucks here. I think the Bucks win again, game two. Man, if they do that, I mean, then this series is definitely over at that point. I mean, they go up two zero and games three and four in Milwaukee. You're you're not recovering from that. I mean, this no. this game tonight in Boston. Must this win. This is as much as a must win yeah. game two as you can find. Yeah. No, I, I do. I, I'm just, again, I'm just concerned about the, the, the physicality portion of it. I have the, my original pick before these series started was um, Bucks over Celtics in seven, by the way. Yeah. So I think that's what I had to. Okay. Uh, let's wrap up the second round uh, with probably the most, I would say, the most exciting series. Um, of the second round, in my most opinion. Most exciting game one, at least. Yeah, the that, round. yeah. Was, that was definitely a fun one. Um, it was the Warriors stealing one uh, away from Grizz- the Grizzlies. Um, stealing? Maybe they just earned one on the road. I'm just talking about the way that they <laughs> finished that last, like, 90 they seconds. They, they stole it, and that, that's what you do when you're really good, is you find a way to win on the road, man. Oh, yeah. No question. No question. Um, really good breakdown, by the way, of how uh, the inexperienced Grizzlies fell to the very experienced Warriors by Justin Lewis on basketballnews.com. Basically, what he's saying is that the little things at the end is what killed Memphis. It was the Warriors' offensive rebounds, Wiggins hitting these big shots, finding his way, um, you know, to getting off the ball and also, you know, grabbing those offensive rebounds and just timely shots that the Dubs are used to hitting. That, I think, was what ultimately you know led them to victory 
that's huge for Golden State, by the way, because Draymond, we know that he was extremely impactful in that first half before he was ejected for uh, a flagrant. He he was. that their, their offense picked up a notch or two once Draymond was out of the game. But, I mean, we all know what he does like facilitating the offense, but especially on defense, how important he is. Oh, my God. He was getting his hands on everything. Everything. Oh, yeah. I, I I'm I'm floored by the way of of just how poised guys like Gary Payton the second and and Jordan Poole are. Um, Jordan Poole we've already you know mentioned it because of you know his quote unquote coming out party in the first two games of that series against Denver, but just the, the way that he's playmaking and his just ultimately just the 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 energy and the consistency in which he plays with even now that he's coming off the bench and his feng shui got thrown off a little. He ain't coming off the bench in game two, I'll bet. Hey, he might not be. Who knows? I don't. I mean, there that offense also changed once Poole got them, you know, in there a little bit more. Um, because Poole started the second half, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we're going to see. Is I think that Peyton's going to come off the bench. Sure, and I don't he know can give you a spark in that way for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you watch this game too. The final minute. What a roller coaster for Clay Thompson, who hasn't <laughs> been in a big playoff game in three seasons yeah. or whatever it's been. And this dude had been a little bit cold during the game, hits the big three, then misses two, the two free, free throws, throws, which you never see Clay Thompson <laughs> yep, do. And yep. then he's the guy that m- caused John Morant to just barely miss that layup at the buzzer. Mm hmm. Yep. You know, yeah, he, what a wild finish did, for Clay. You're he right. He did not pull an Ant-Man and go for the steal. He stayed in front of Morant. This is true. And even with Morant's speed, tried to get around him. He couldn't. He still got the, I mean, what does Ja do? He gets the ball up there on the rim, and he, it just came off. And Clay did just enough to change that shot. Another fantastic ATO, by the way, by Coach Jenkins um, to get Morant coming full speed. I think there was... 4.6 minute uh, seconds no no 3.8 3.8 yeah but it was, it was, a, it was a there should have been 4.6 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's right yeah but they got him with momentum coming downhill with the left hand and he was just too strong off the glass that's all it was but clay did an excellent job like you said getting in front of that um and making that that happen and yes uh that was very deflating for the grizzlies um can you believe that they, Steph Curry missed a wide open three late in that game too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, you can't get more wide open, and it's sure. Steph Curry, and and you could just see that he was like slapping himself over that one too. But mm-hmm. um, hey, you know what? It's just the little things, like you said. The Warriors were able to get those little things. I mean, I thought for Ja, I mean, he had a good game overall. He had thirty four. They and, were and, daring him to shoot. Oh my gosh! They but were, he came out of the gate and yeah, he was hitting shots. He but was. Yeah, that's what they do. They're like, okay, we're not going to let you get in the paint. You're going to have to take shots. You're going to have to hit those. Um, he ended up getting four threes, but I mean, he he had to work for everything. He did not shoot well overall. He's fourteen of thirty one. It's a um, lot of shots, Brian. A lot of shots. It, it's a <laughs> lot of shots, and that's not something I think that they want to do. I mean, they they like him being aggressive. But I think they would like him to have probably around 20 to 24 shots. Now, Jaron Jackson Jr., I mean, he probably had the best offensive game of his life. Yes. I mean, of his career, man. Of his career. And you, you know, you look at the threes and you say, okay, yeah, he went six of six of nine from deep. That's very nice, yes. But 
it's when he puts it on the floor, he was using his left hand as, and he honestly may as well be a left-handed player because he's so good with it when he gets down there, um, puts it on the floor. Because once he's shooting that well, when he has that 67% clip from deep, then you got to get guys that are closing out on you, and you can take advantage of the size difference because you had Andrew Wiggins playing the four, right? So you're able to use that to your advantage, put the shoulder down, and get a closer look at the rim, which he did. He got to the line. He went 7-9 to nine from the stripe, uh, 10 of 18 field goals overall. So he was able to do not only just shoot well on the outside, but also get on the inside. And he wasn't in foul trouble this game. However, however, uh, and this is echoing uh, Justin Lewis's point, why would he only get 30 minutes in that case? I don't know. And that that is a weird thing because he wasn't in foul trouble, and that's something we've seen from him plenty of times. But, yeah, he only played 31 minutes, which was a bit head-scratching. I mean, you look at this game, though, from Memphis's standpoint, Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain, who have been two of their most dependable offensive guys, only had 17 points. Mm-hmm. And combined, they went 6 of 23. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet that Desmond Bain will bounce back. I don't know if Dylan's going to find the offense this postseason. Yep. It seems like it's been uh, a little while here um, since he's been able to find his his jumper. Um, it just doesn't seem to be here. But he's been the most important player for them on defense, so he has to stay on the floor because he's the one that's bodying up Steph. And but if you're the, did a good job at that. If you're the Warriors, isn't this kind of the game plan like, Hey, if Jackson gets some points and he has to earn it, especially we're going to give him three-pointers. He had six and nine. We don't think he's going to do that all the time. You want to take those? Go for it. Ja, you want to get your points? You'll get your points. But guess what? If you do it on 31 shots, so be it. But the guy that I think the Warriors would love to quiet is Bain. Yeah. No, I, I mean, he's he's deadly, man. He He can drop 25 in any of these playoff games. He's Absolutely. He's one of those, you know, really, really solid scorers. Um, and a good shooter, as we know, one of the best in the N- N- NBA. Um, I'm interested to see what this rotation looks like for Memphis next game. I don't know if I'm giving as many minutes to Xavier Tillman. I don't know if I'm giving as many minutes to even Kyle Anderson. We're going to see more DeAnthony Melton because he finally looked like he was breaking the you know the playoff. Uh, he was great you know, taking the the playoff monkey off of his back. You know, like he was hitting threes. He was getting steals. My God, defensively he was great. Uh, that's someone that has to be in your rotation. You're able to go smaller against the the team like the Warriors, um, of course, unless like Kevon Looney's in there or something like that, and you need someone to bang. But I I don't know if we need to see more. You know, in this series, I don't know if we need to see more Tillman uh, or or Kyle Anderson. Uh, I was going to say, Contra, I think so- John Concher got got nine minutes, and he didn't see like a lick of playing time yeah. in that last series. I think he's somebody you probably won't see too much of. And I do wonder about slow-mo, if he's going to be the guy that sees his minutes get diminished here. Yeah, and and I want to see more Tyus Jones, to be completely honest with you, because he's yeah. the one that's going to be able to keep up with this team if, uh, offensively. He'll be able to set guys up. Um, we know that they're, um, you know, really, really solid lineup against the the Wolves. I think it was in game five or game six when they won, was going to Tyus, Ja. Desmond Bain, Brooks, and Jaron Jackson, or and Brandon Clark with one of those two in there. So we'll see how this rotation shapes out. But yeah, going 10 deep in game one, really perplexing there. But I mean, this is a series two. I mean, look at what they did. 117-116 Warriors take game one. 
I feel like there's going to be a game where these two teams are going to be like in the 130s. <laughs> you kind of feel that just the pace of the game, because like, you know, in the playoffs, and we've seen this, like you look at the Bucks Celtics and what's their identity. Okay. We're going to slow this down. We're going to, we're going to battle it out. Same with kind of like when it comes to Philly and Miami, you get to this series right here, golden state Memphis It is run and gun. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. It's great to get those two different styles here now in the second round of the playoffs. Yes. No, I, I think that that make, I think that differentiates them from the rest of the series that, you know, you got your physical ones in the East. Like, let's be honest, those two series are not going to be offensive masterpieces. The teams remaining in the East. No Philly, Dallas, we might get some high scoring games there. And we know that the, the, the uh, the Suns are able to just put points on your head like nobody else, uh, especially in their their half court machine. But yeah, Memphis Golden State that's fun. I think as long as Memphis or Golden State remains in these playoffs, we're gonna have fast series when they are in in there. But it's a hell of a Probably. matchup. It's a hell of a. By matchup. the way, one other thing I wanted to point out: Kuminga looked like he belonged. Sure he thing, 15 man. Minutes. And man, that's that huge. Dude, nothing, nothing phased this dude. He he looked like kind of like a, a, a you know old stodgy veteran who had been there before, and he knew like just play within myself. Don't try to do too much. And I thought he he played a great game for what they needed from him. Clean the glass. Get you know get a board here. Get a steal here. Uh, don't turn it, the ball over. Finish in try, the don't try to spot. do too much. Yeah, yeah, finish in the dunker spot. Yep, that's exactly what they needed out of him, and they got it. And good for him because, I mean, he's been mostly out of the rotation in the postseason. Uh, maybe a showing like that when Draymond was gone, maybe they, maybe that ends up being a, you know, uh, a blessing in disguise for them that he came out and performed like that and can give them those minutes when needed upon. Yeah, and that I thought Damian Lee was going to get some more minutes, especially when Draymond was out. He did not. Mm. He was really not even a factor in this yeah, game. Yeah, I, I don't think that he's going to be in the rotation, truthfully. Um, yeah, uh, he's not going to be. Toscano Anderson is not going to be. It's it's going to be, you know, they're, they're going to go like 90. Specialists, man, specialists. That's what, you know, JTA yeah. is, a, is a defensive specialist. They need to stop. They're throwing him in there. You saw that at the end of the game when they needed that stop. They threw him in on the inbounder, you know, like. Um, but with the emergence of Jordan Poole, you've got to find a way to put him, Curry, and clay on the, the floor at the same time there's just yeah no, and that's there's what, no that's why there's I, no minutes left for the rest of the guys i mean that offense was so different to start that second half you know once they put pool in there and that's why i kind of wonder like okay are you guys going to start it like this now or are you going to stay with um gary payton yeah. we'll see yeah it, it's just I mean, Payton, payton's still going to get you know his minutes but it's just are they going to be coming off the bench or do the Warriors say, we're going to come at you with our, our best lineup right out the gate? Well, I think that the reason Gary Payton was in there is because historically, at least the last year or two, um, Gary Payton's done a good job on Ja. So I think that's what yeah. they wanted to set that tone off the bat. They obviously didn't because Ja came out a blazing, <laughs> but he didn't really get to the paint. Um, but really fun series. Uh, I'm right with you there. Um, I actually think that the Grizzlies even it up. Uh, this is the only this is the only game of these four um, game twos that I'm picking for them to even that up. Yeah, I would agree. I I I think Memphis being at home, and I I think they'll get better games from Bain and and probably from Brooks as well. But Desmond Bain is the guy that I would look at to have a bigger game, or, 100%. or a better game. 
No, I would agree. And he'll be more aggressive. He only had 10 shots. I don't know if the last time he took less than like 15. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, for for my pick for the series, I uh, I got some people coming at me for this, actually. I picked the Grizzlies over the Warriors in seven. Mm. Nope, I... I- I like the Warriors. I kind of changed my mind about them. You know, I said that last week and I'm going to, I'm going to, and I thought maybe they would come out of the West too. Yeah. Cause uh, I thought Phoenix, you know, was the easy choice there, the obvious choice, but the way Golden State's playing, I mean, who, who knows, but I, I still like Golden State to win this one. Okay. So to recap, uh, the game twos and also the second round picks that I had, I've got, the Heat winning game two. I've got the Bucks winning game two. I've got the Suns winning game two. And I have the Grizzlies winning game two. Heat over Sixers in, se- uh, in, in, in six. Bucks over Celtics in seven. Suns over Mavs in five. And Grizzlies over Warriors in seven. Wow. I got... There you have it. I think Warriors are going to win this series in six. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough, sir. Fair enough. Uh, Want to talk some coaches real quick before we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, we have a couple of news nuggets that are coming in here. One, speaking of the Sacramento Kings, they are closing in on uh, interviews with Mike Brown, obviously a former Cavs coach and former Lakers coach, Warriors assistant currently. Steve Clifford, who was in both um, Orlando and Charlotte in his past. And then uh, the biggest name here that apparently Vivek uh, Ranadev is most keen on is Mark Jackson. So, <laughs> so do we have thoughts on this? Because uh, a lot of people um, uh, seem to be very split on Mark Jackson and his, his coaching methods. I know that a lot of people have respect for him, but there's also some players that have not spoken the, you know, the highest of him. So uh, how do we feel about this and the, the, the Sacramento process here? Well, it's the Sacramento Kings, so um, they they love change. That's all we keep seeing from them is change and change and change and change. And, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, Vivek is big on Mark Jackson. Um, he's been looking for a second chance since he lost the Warriors job years ago. And he's been trying to get back as a head coach. There's a lot of players around the league that like him, um, including LeBron James. But I don't know if Mark Jackson is the best choice to be a head coach considering some of the antics that happened in his first run with Golden State. And I know that he was a part of Steph Curry in the young part of his career in helping mold him, I guess, when it comes to... And Clay. Um, yep, and Clay. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of problems that happened there. And there was sounds like there was a lot of devious things that happened um, behind the scenes there. Um, including pitting players against one another and, you know, lying about it. Um, different things like that. They're kind of underhanded tactics. So for him to get a second chance, I don't know if it, what would be different or how different it would be, but to go to Sacramento, that would be interesting. Uh, I mean, the other choices are Mike Brown, who's, you know, looking for another chance after, you know, coaching with the Cavs and the Lakers and how much has he learned from this latest stint being an assistant you know, with the Warriors where he's basically the defensive coordinator. And then Steve Clifford, who, you know, is just a good steady hand and very well respected around the league by his peers and by players. And you're not going to get any drama there. He's almost like the Frank Vogel of coaches available right now. (laughs) Um, 
So um, why not Frank then Sacramento? You know what? And you say that I have not heard Frank's name come up anywhere. Now it doesn't mean that he won't be interviewed anywhere. Um, Cause remember Charlotte's got an opening as well. Um, but I have not heard Frank's name come up yet in any of these coaching searches. It's interesting. It's interesting. And I don't know if that's by his choice or not. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there in Sacramento. There's another situation also in Charlotte. By the way, what do you think about Mark Jackson if he becomes a head coach? About Mark Jackson? I think X's and O's wise, he's really good. Yeah. Um, I think that he's a good motivator. Um, Had a lot to do, obviously, with starting that dynasty. And there were some people that are out there that, you know, felt Steve Kerr kind of, you know, ended ended up, you know, kind of picking up on what he had built. Um, almost in the way that, you know, people feel maybe like how uh, Nick Nurse did the same thing with Dwayne Casey. Yeah. You know? So it was more of the off-the-court stuff that kind of did him in. Sure. Sure, yeah. yeah. And I don't know, like, all the details about that stuff and, you know, what truths are behind it and whatnot. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. There, there, was a, there was a lot of rumors and innuendo and different things that people are talking about, including some stuff with assistant coaches. Because remember, he wouldn't let assistants talk with the media on the record. Mm-hmm. Um. And there was, you know, you know, if there's a controlling factor here, he'll say this. If there's a controlling factor here, and I think before we started started potting here, you were telling me that uh, Ranadev and McNair, this would be, uh, you know, completely on, you know, their watch here. This this would be something that, you know, they would have decide. They would decide together. Well, well, the whole thing is, you know, Vivek is. Flat out told McNair, hey, we're, we're sick of all the turnover here in the front office. You're running the show. This is your pick. But it sounds like they have a different mindset on who they would like to be the next head coach. And Vivek really wants Mark Jackson. But so will he step in if McNair says, no, 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 I want to go in this direction? And will he say, hey, you're the guy that's, that's calling the shots? Or will he put his thumb on the scale? When is it ever that a chairman and a president of basketball operations and general manager all on the same page. Do we ever hear that? Is it, is it always someone that's split? Like this is just, it's not even just, just the NBA. It's just sports in general. Is anyone ever on the same page? Are our egos really that huge that we don't have the same mindset? And I know that if there was like groupthink or something like that, then it probably wouldn't be a good thing. But just once for one of these reports, is, is we going to have an aligned division, an aligned vision here? Like, but I mean, Vivek is the owner, you know, it's yeah. like you're the owner and I get that, you know, but at the same time you hire this guy because of his expertise. So you let him call the shot. Yeah. That, that to me, that's what you do. If you want, really want to empower the guy that you're having run your front office, let him make his, his choice. There's already talk though in a report that says if they don't make the playoffs next year, major changes could come to the front office again in Sacramento. <laughs> like What? Well, that's just has to do. With I'm like, well, you're never going to have any consistency. Who's in, who's in control doing of the this? Team. That, that's know, where so, you point to who's can control the team. Yeah, you know. So I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, and hey, if it is Mark, I hope that if there were some things that happened in the past that he's kind of learned his lessons from that. Because it sounds like when it comes to his X's and O's and different things like that, that he's you know really good. I mean, he's one of the better point Brian's, guards that you know have been yeah. in the league before. Like, right. I mean, just don't ask Brian Scalabrine because, you know, he marooned him to their D-League team. So, Whew. bad blood, bad blood. <laughs> that is some bad blood. Other situation, Charlotte. 
Okay, we have a list of candidates here. One, Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> I'll get <laughs> the I'll get favorite, to, I'll, maybe. I'll get the to, favorite. I will get to that. Darvin Ham, who's an assistant with the Bucks. You have Kenny Atkinson, who is an assistant, I think, still with the Warriors. And Dallas assistant Sean Sweeney. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I think that first name that comes to mind for me is Kenny Atkinson because I don't think he got a fair shake at all in Brooklyn, and we didn't see what he was capable of doing um, with that team that he grew and ended up being completely desecrated and 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 split up. Um, seeing Mike D'Antoni on this list in the year 2022, knowing how old he is, knowing that the same problems arise all the time in probably a year or two, I just don't know why he's still head coaching candidate. I, hey, I, I respect greatly what he did for this game and how good of a coach he has been in the past. But how do we continue to be in the same cycle over and over and over again and disregarding the other side of the ball? Go back to even just about a month or so ago. What was the talk? If Philly falls apart in the postseason and if they have a first-round exit, then Doc Rivers could be out and Mike D'Antoni could be in because of his relationship with James Harden. And Daryl Morey. Now, well, yeah. And and it sounds like that's like, no, 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 that's not the case. You know, we are standing by Doc. He's not going anywhere, no matter what. So I don't, I don't think Philly is going to make a move here in the offseason. But, you know, D'Antoni has been around the league. We all know this. And we all know what he does. Great offensive mind. Defense is lacking. And... I don't know if that would mean like you have to hire a coach that handles all of the defense, which is somewhat the case of what happens at Golden State, you know, when it comes to Kerr and, you know, what he does with Mike Brown. Um, That's the only way I could see that working if D'Antoni is the head coach. Who's the shooter? Dude, dude, like they don't let them take mid-rangers. That's that's Mike D'Antoni's philosophy. Right. Dude, you have like Terry Rozier and you have like, Miles Bridges and like you have guys that go inside of the the arc, like yes. I mean, I don't know if I want that their personnel to be guys that are just chucking threes left and right. So yeah, it I mean, sounds so cliche, but like that's literally how I'm thinking. I'm like, well, they have quite a bit of guys that take shots like that, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I look at it too. Is like, I get it. I have no problem with Mike, but at the same time, at what point do you not have to look for some other people that? Uh, deserve an opportunity and just kind of are in the league right now when it comes to on a bench and have been doing their time and deserve an opportunity or, or even somebody like Kenny Atkinson who had an opportunity and he ended up leaving Brooklyn just because, you know, this is like, he was a good at cultivating young talent, put that together, that team and Brooklyn brings in KD and Kyrie. And they're like, Hey, you know what? We'd like Steve Nash to be our coach. Yeah. The next thing you know, Kenny's out. Yeah, and Kenny didn't get a fair shake. I mean, do you not. see do you see the talent that that he took from the ground up? Spencer Dinwiddie was like a second round pick who had been a journeyman and he turned him into a damn near all-star coming off. D'Angelo Russell was a good player. D'Angelo Russell like uh, you had, you know, Karis LeVert really find his his stroke, you know, like Jarrett Allen. I'm thinking like he, there were some teams that just did not have the greatest, you know, rosters, all due respect, and he made them work. And I don't think that it's fair that, you know, he got 
such a terrible shake with them because he was making lemonade out of lime. Like, yeah. Like, well, well, here's another situation too, where it sounds like the reason why James Borrego was let go, even though he increased their win total by 10 wins is because Michael Jordan, the team's owner or the team's governor, um, did not want him there. Did not like, you know, some of the things that we're doing, especially defensively. So he said, you know what? We're going to let him go. So how much of a say is he going to have, you know, or is he going to allow Mitch Kupchak, who is the GM, to let it all be on him? I would hope it would be Mitch, but I have a pushback against that point. Even though If you're it's just saying, Mitch, it might be D'Antoni because he has a relationship with him. Oh, God. But here's the thing. Uh, I, and I know that you're just, you know, reporting what's what's been out there. But my pushback against that report is maybe you need a center to play defense, you freaking jagaloons. That, that would help. You you need some <laughs> big bodies in the front court. That that would definitely help. So we'll see. And by the way, if Michael Jordan wasn't happy with their defense, and that's the reason why he got rid of Borrego, why would you hire Mike D'Antoni? I have no idea. It's just like, makes no sense. Darvin Ham, though, is apparently a really, uh, really popular name in these circles. And uh, we get to your team. Since we haven't talked about the Lakers in a couple weeks, I, I feel like this is... There's a, been no need to, thank God. Yeah, this is a... The, the, the only Lakers news that we have is that Russell Westbrook showed up at the Met Gala with a, with a top hat on. That, that, that's the only Lakers news that we have. But on a serious note, apparently they are interested in Darvin Ham as well. And they have a uh, infatuation with Quinn Snyder, who we know has only one year left with the Jazz, and we're wondering what the hell is going to happen with that franchise and with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. If you want to know where we think uh, those guys could land, go to basketballnews.com. We had two trade destination articles for both, uh, one from Brian Fonseca, another one from Evan Sidery, so make sure to check those out. But Lakers, like Darvin Ham, like Quinn Snyder. These are the coaching rumors and rumblings that are popping up right now. From everything, it sounds like the Lakers are going to be taking their time when it comes to their um, decision-making and their process because they're going to interview a lot of different people. So, you know, with Quinn Snyder, it's up to Quinn if he wants to stay with the Jazz, it sounds like, because they offered him an extension before and he turned it down. And he's got the one year left and their front office is made it pretty clear we want to keep Quinn, but he might be like, I think my time here is done. Um, I want to move on. So we will see. And if that is the case, does he really want to go to the Lakers? Because everything we've heard so far, and it doesn't mean it's not the case, but it sounds like he does not want to go to LA for a couple of reasons. Like he's not enamored with the roster. He's not thrilled with how they treated Frank Vogel doesn't mean that he if they offered him the job that he wouldn't take it and they can't smooth some things out but he's somebody that's on their radar you know nick nurse is another guy because he's a clutch client that they talked about obviously he's under contract with the raptors messiah just 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 actually spoke on that um yeah the day that we're recording this podcast like i said uh tuesday afternoon uh in his press conference with the raptors he actually poked fun at some reports with that (laughs) yeah and he should because even nick nurse is like where the hell is that coming from (laughs) you know like and i i think I don't think Nick wants to leave Toronto and I don't think he's going to be going anywhere. People have kind of pulling a little bit on that clutch thing, but Darvin Ham is a guy that that's very, very interesting because he's a guy that 
you know, was in the league not too long ago. I think that he's done his time as an assistant. Um, he's highly respected, not only by other coaches, but by players. And it sounds like he has the kind of gravitas that a LeBron James and an Anthony Davis would respect. Um, it's here's the thing that I wonder about though. And this is, um, typical Laker thinking. Is he a big enough name for the Lakers? And that's not a good enough reason to not hire him. And I don't know what other big name they think they're going to get or somebody that's got a lot more experience as a head coach. Okay. Cause Quinn Snyder fits in that mold. I don't know what other big names are out there. If they want to go big game hunting. Um, but Darvin Ham is a guy to me that makes a lot of sense in LA when it comes to the relationship that he can have with LeBron and top players and then getting that opportunity out there. You know, the other thing is how are the Lakers going to handle a contract, especially for somebody if it's their first time, are they going to try to lowball them? Are they going to go that route like they did with Vogel where we're not going to give you five years or we're going to give you three. So we'll, we'll see if the Lakers kind of learn their lesson when it comes to, you know, who they get for the next head coach and what they offer somebody or, you know, or else it could be like they do it the last time where Vogel was their third choice. Yes. No, I, I don't know how they handle that. I don't know how to trust this organization. You've already poo-pooed on uh, the way that it's run. I think, you know, these names are nice to be linked to. And But if, if, if they're at that point where they're like, oh, is this person big enough for the Lakers? Like, then that, you're mean, in a bad way. Like I said, that's something that, that we're so used to with that organization. And you, you start hearing these stories, too, like, oh, they've learned their lesson. When it comes to building the roster, oh, they've learned their lesson when it comes to the head coaching search. Um, John Calipari, John Calipari. <laughs> no, don't, don't even, God, I knew you were going to say that. I was just like, please, dear God, no. Um, but just, you know what? Don't say it. Show me. Yeah. Show me. Fair. Go and prove it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. You know, I mean, I don't know who else that they, you know, Mike Brown is another guy that supposedly they've been interested in. Um I, I wonder if they would talk to Kenny Atkinson or not. And, I mean, maybe maybe Sean Sweeney would be somebody as well because he's another assistant that's been looking to get an opportunity. Um, I'm not sure what other guys, but I'm sure there's going to be some other names that will pop. You know, Mark Jackson is somebody, too, because of what LeBron likes him. But I, I don't think that's a good fit. But, okay, we'll see. For sure. For I, mean, sure. He, I mean, I mentioned before, Steve Clifford is like Frank Vogel. Would they want to be talking to, to Steve? Or how about would they be interested in talking to James Perego? I mean, I think they should be. Absolutely. I, I, I think they that would make a lot of sense. Do you get the the hard thing is is how do you find a way for someone to to manage egos but not get too much in the way? Like, you know, like offer some structure, but also be respected. It's not easy. It's not easy to find that. I think I think you look at, you know, you look at, you know, a an up and coming assistant that the guys have a previous relationship with and someone that can really, you know, get garner that respect. And I mean, I know that kind of sounds like a, a like a like a Jamal Mosley or Steven Silas, but I think that really would make a lot of sense. Well, I think that's why Darvin Ham makes a lot of sense too, because I guess he has a little bit of a relationship with LeBron. And, you know, a lot of players really do respect him. By the way, if we talk about this big game hunting and, you know, you mentioned Calipari, which hasn't come up, but who the hell knows? 
The big name that I would think of that I wonder if they would try to pursue is Jay Wright. Oh, yeah. Jay Jay uh, abruptly retiring from Villanova a couple weeks ago. Um, he said he has not slammed the door shut on the NBA, but yes. it's something he's never really been totally interested in or, you know, something that hasn't, like, wowed him. But he's kind of sitting back. So I wonder if that's the guy that they said they go, let's throw it all at Jay. It just seems like a very weird fit though say i totally agree i would not go that route i think jay is a hell of a coach but i just don't think he would be the right fit you know i mean how many times have we seen this guy's coming from college i mean you see it a little bit more yeah. you know in the nfl but even in you know college hoops i mean juan howard is a guy that's obviously a college coach right now that lebron has a relationship with as well and some people think that he would be a really good fit in the nba he's been an assistant in the nba but He's he's made it sound like I'm staying here because I like coaching college ball. Plus, I'm coaching my kids. Yeah, yeah. You know what makes sense, honestly. Uh, if you want to look at the college ranks, I know they mentioned Calipari, and probably not going to happen. But never say never. Um, I'm thinking Jawan Howard, just because he coached in Miami and was a player yeah. in Miami with with Bron and all but like that. Like I just said, I, but, I don't think he wants yeah. to go right now. I think you know because he's coaching his kids. Maybe in a few years. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think he wants to go right now. Sure, sure, sure. No, no question. It's tough. Hey, Coach K, huh? Yeah. Hey, you. They, hey, they almost had him years ago. Remember, he he took a long weekend to think about leaving Duke and taking the Lakers job, and he decided to stay at Duke. And hey, you know what? I know he's gotten up there in years as well. I'm sure that's another guy that the Lakers might talk with. I don't think it's a good fit at this stage, just because he's been a career college guy. And hey, yes, he's coached Olympic teams or, you know, he's been around that. Um, I think the Lakers would be better suited having somebody that's been an assistant or already a head coach in the NBA. And I, I still like the idea of somebody like a Darvin ham. Okay. All right. Somebody with that kind of resume, but Hey, like I said, it's the Lakers and uh, all bets are off. You know what? We're talking about coaching jobs. This means that we're getting closer to summer. Like, and I'm looking at my weather app and we're going from gloomy and, and 55 and rainy and we're going to get 81 and sunny here in about five days. So I'm pretty It's 85 here where I'm at, man. Oh, lucky you. Lucky you. We're, it, we're, we're it, on our it, way. It, it's flat out hot out. Almost patio season, Brian. It's almost patio season. Mm. Okay, which that also means that the playoffs are starting to wind down a little bit. Uh, by this time next week, we could have one series decided. We could have um, potentially one or two people that are in the, the conference finals. So that's pretty crazy to think about. But thanks for joining us on an episode of Keeping It 94. Once again, brought to you by the BasketballNews.com podcast network. Got other great ones for you to listen to including the Dunker Spot. They just recorded episode 100, so congratulations to Steve Jones Jr. and Nikias Duncan. Make sure you can check that out. The Alex Kennedy Podcast with Alex Kennedy. The Rematch with Atan Thomas. Dishes and Dimes with the Ladies, and of course, Nothing But Bets, a daily gambling podcast hosted by Evan Sidery. Again, the official tip ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com is Ticket Smarter. Looking to go to the hottest sports, concerts, theater, and family shows near you? Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. 
Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Keep it at 94 on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out basketballnews.com for everything playoffs, NBA draft, WNBA. We're hitting it all. We're hitting it all this summer, and we're really doing some good things over at BBN. So please support us. And uh, once again, for this podcast, keep it at 94. Subscribe, rate, review, leave a comment. Hit us up on social media. I'm there at Spin Davies on Twitter. He's on Twitter at Brian Fritz. I'm on Instagram at Spin Davies. He's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. So until next week, we'll see where we are at in this postseason time. And maybe we'll talk about a little bit more coaching news. We'll see ya. Mm-hmm.